Good evening, everyone. I'm Anne-Marie Cronin, and welcome to our live weekly medical show on News Talk 760 WJR. We're going to be talking about the prevention of disease and the urgency of taking action before the onset of serious medical problems. Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician and specialist in prevention, is with us again to tell you what you need to know about how early screening and knowing your profile can lead to the avoidance of heart attack and stroke altogether. Pre-screening and simple non-invasive tests can actually prevent Alzheimer's and many other chronic diseases. If you have a question, we're opening up the lines and taking your calls. So please make a note of this number, 800-859-0957. Again, that's 800-859-0957. This is your chance to talk directly to the doctor. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. You're listening to 760 WJR. Welcome back, all of you listeners, to our live weekly medical show here on 760 WJR. I'm Anne-Marie Cronin, and we are back again tonight to talk to you about prevention and why you have to start looking at healthcare from a different perspective. Dr. Brian Collender, MD, is joining us from Birmingham, Michigan, to give us some hard talk about dealing with our health and making sure we get the necessary testing. We're inviting you to call in if you have a question at 800-859-0957. Again, that's 800-859-0957. Dr. Collender, welcome to another one of your shows. Welcome, Siobhan Cronin, my co-host. Are we taking a call first or going to Dr. Collender? Uh, well, I guess we want to take the call, right, Dr. Collender? Yeah. Okay, let's start with Greg and Shelby, who's on the line. Greg, what's your question? Hey, good evening, you guys. Mr. Positive. Hey, Dr. Collender and the all-star crew, as always. Um, when it comes to diabetes, the blood sugar number, is it different in men and women? And let's say you're big, short, fat, uh, skinny. Blood sugar numbers, are they relative or is there a standard that all, everyone, it's applicable to everybody? Well, thanks, Greg. That's a, you always ask these great loaded questions. <laughs> so, you know, when it comes to blood sugar in my practice, blood sugar is a late marker of insulin resistance. So, yes, I look at blood sugars, but I'm really trying to identify the process of insulin resistance years before the blood sugar is going to go up. So, as far as, you know, where is this marker, um, hemoglobin A1C is really the blood test that's used to measure diabetes and the results of proper diabetic care. Um, unfortunately, hemoglobin A1C is a very late marker of insulin resistance and only goes up when you are dealing with pancreatic failure. So to me, that number is terrible. And I think that we may prove in time that hemoglobin A1C is independent of risk reduction. I mean, that's what I see in my office. Um, so I don't have enough of a sample size to make that a, a public statement, but in my office, I think hemoglobin A1C is worthless. I look at other labs that measure insulin resistance, and we've talked about them in the office um, and the, on the show. Triglyceride to HDL ratio. Uh, I look at particle numbers. I look at fasting insulin. And we also look at insulin resistance scores, such as 
um, HOMA IR, LPIR, lipoprotein insulin resistance uh, ratio. And these are all measurements of insulin resistance. Um, unfortunately, these, you know, the concept of insulin resistance is like a continuum. It's, it's, there's no black and white. Um, so as soon as I, I try to recognize it very early and treat it with lifestyle. And if the patient buys in, which they're hopefully going to, they can stop themselves from becoming diabetic and never have an elevated blood sugar. And so that's the real goal is to not even think about blood sugars until you're 80 years old or 85 years old instead of when you're 50. And in the process, we've eliminated a serious source of vascular inflammation that causes all kinds of chronic illness. So blood sugar is for the traditional doctors. Hemoglobin A1C is for the traditional doctors. It's too late. You need to find this process much earlier and aggressively manage it. And depending on the person, I might give that, I may give a patient with insulin resistance who has serious vascular problems and high, other high-risk markers, I might put them on meds. Drugs otherwise relegated to diabetics, I might start very, very early, 10 years before someone's ever going to be diabetic because I, we need the extra help to reduce their inflammation. Greg, thank you for calling. You know, Dr. Collender, it's amazing to, you know, you talk about this on all of your shows, and it's amazing to think about the fact that all the people who believe and think that they are genetically predisposed, predisposed to getting diabetes just by the function of being in this country and the fact that there are a lot of people with diabetes, and what you're saying to patients and listeners is, it can be stopped, it can be prevented if you get in early enough and do the diagnostic tests that you have available that they can avoid becoming diabetic and becoming, you know, uh, uh, having to depend on medication for the rest of their lives. You know, prevention requires disease identification. And the earlier you identify the disease, the earlier you address it. So it's critical to identify the disease. If we're waiting for an elevated blood sugar You've missed 10 or more years to identify the disease. If you wait for your hemoglobin A1C, you've missed 15 to 20 years to identify this disease. And, you know, I had a patient in today who, you know, I'm drilling him on his insulin resistance, you know, because it, it like peaked up its head a little bit. And I'm looking at the guy's age. He's 88. And I'm reading him the riot act on his diet. 88 years old. It doesn't matter how old you are. If you're alive, then you need to pay attention to your health because we want to keep all of these other drivers of disease in check. Yeah, and that's the important thing. The important thing is realizing that you can prevent these diseases if you start early enough. Well, in the meantime, we're going to have to take a short break. Again, you're listening to our weekly live medical radio show where we keep you up to date on all medical solutions from dealing with COVID to avoiding catastrophic disease. We're here with Dr. Brian Collender, MD, talking about prevention. If you have a specific question and you'd like to talk to the doctor directly about what you need to do to prevent or reverse disease, please call us at 800-859-0957. Again, that's 800-859-0957. You're listening to 760 WJR.
Welcome back to our special live weekly medical show on 760 WJR. We're back again with Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician in Birmingham, Michigan. As a recognized leader in the field of catastrophic disease prevention, including heart attack, stroke, diabetes, and many chronic conditions, he's here tonight to give us some hard advice on what we need to do to avoid heart attack and stroke altogether. Through advanced and more sophisticated diagnostic technology, we are now able to arrest and reverse the progress of these silent killers. We're inviting listeners to call in with your questions at 800-859-0957. Again, that's 800-859-0957. And we are back again with Dr. Collender. Siobhan, my co-host, is here with a list of callers that are calling in, but we've got a special caller tonight, Kayla from South Korea, who has, she's an American who has lived in South Korea teaching English for 17 years, reached out, listened to Dr. Collender's show, reached out to him some time ago about some tests that she was getting and she wanted him to look over, which he graciously did. Kayla, welcome. Can you hear us? Are you tuning in? Is Kayla there? Yes. Yeah, Kayla. we have Kayla online. Hi, Kayla. Have, we, say hello to Siobhan, Hi. Kayla. Hi, We're glad to have you in the show. So tell Thank us you. tell us a little bit about you were in South Korea. You've been there for a long time and you went to your doctor. Just give us a little bit of a background about what, what you were hoping to achieve by the medical tests that you got in South Korea and what happened. Well, I had a blood test excuse me, and my cholesterol was extremely high. So based on your show and Dr. Collender's advice, I decided to get a CIMT test. Um, and oh, I can't think of the other test now offhand. The coronary artery calcium score. Right. And, and you were, you were, were, you able, were, were you able to get those tests rather rapidly and efficiently in South Korea? Right. I had to ask my doctor to refer me to a specialist, and then the specialist asked me which tests I wanted, and I told her, and she was more than accommodating to run the tests that Dr. Collender suggested. And then also through your show, you suggested a sleep apnea test, and so I told my doctor I'd like to do that, and I just got all of those results back and sent them to Dr. Collender so, for his review. Well, uh Dr. Collins, uh, Dr. Collins, tell us what happened after you got the test. What did you find from the test that well, she was given? I discovered that I'm a genius. Well, we knew that before <laughs> we started the show, so let's right. moving on. <laughs> so, sorry, Olivia's cracking up over here. So, sorry, Kayla, I'm doing this at your expense. So, you know, I'm happy to hear that you're able to get these tests readily. And what we learned is that on the repeat lipid panel, your lipids are not that bad, but as regular listeners know, lipids do not predict risk. Um, but you do have an elevated IMT with a barely elevated coronary artery calcium score. So even though that I'm saying that it's barely elevated, it doesn't matter. If you have a calcium score over 10 and yours is 32, it means you've got plaque and that you need to be considered as someone who has coronary disease and plaque, um, which means take medication. So I'm happy to see that you are started on a statin, which lowers artery disease, and that you were also diagnosed with sleep apnea. 
And so this is one of the silent killers. Um, I'm looking at the rest of your labs and from what I can guess again, because we don't have everything I would do. It does not look to me that you have uh, insulin resistance. Uh, and I'm saying that because your triglyceride to HDL ratio is less than one, which is really good. Uh, a ratio over two suggests insulin resistance. And you have a very good ApoB. ApoB is a particle number that represents all of your bad lipids. And so you have a good ApoB number. Now, it could be better, but being on the statin, it, that's going to come down and, and uh, look uh, even better. So um, right now, I'd say, again, based on the results that we have, you're on the right track. You take your statin. You work on your nutrition. You... Um, optimize your exercise. You know, I, we haven't met, so I don't know what your body composition is. I don't have any of that skinny. information. I'm but, telling you, she's skinny. Well, build some lean muscle. So if you're, if you're a thin woman, you're at risk for osteoporosis. Listen to the Sunday show. We had a whole thing about vitamin D. And you want to build some lean muscle mass, uh, which helps fight insulin resistance, again, which you don't have. Um, and check another IMT in a year. So your IMT is not that high risk, but um, you have a data point to start with and check in a year and see how you're doing. But you want to optimize your sleep, your nutrition, your exercise, um, and your home life and stress. Dr. Conner, let me ask you, is it, do you think it's possible that her positive sleep apnea test is the reason for the high IMT or the higher IMT score? Do you think there's oh, a correlation absolutely. there? Absolutely. And even if it, so her IMT is not that high, it's 0 0.75 millimeters, which, so we're talking about fractions of a millimeter. And I like to see IMTs in the sixes. So even if it's 0 0.69, I'm a lot happier. There's not a lot of problems happening with a 0 0.6 something IMT measurement. So we're not in a bad place, but I still want to see it lower. Um, and what I'm really happy to see about the report from uh, South Korea is that there is not an artery age. So in our reports, we get an artery age, which is very misleading because people in our country are sick. And I don't want to compare any of my patients to other people in this country because everyone's sick. I want people better than everybody else. So this is just the raw data, which is great. And so I'm happy to see, Kayla, that your doctor put you on a low dose of a statin, which is all you need, irrespective of your lipids, just based on the degree of plaque that you have. Kayla, I want to like just in interrupt here for a minute. Being that, you know, obviously you're an American citizen who went to Korea to teach English. You were there for 17 years. And my question to you is when you uh, reached out to Dr. Collender and called, called him in the first place to question some of your blood test results that you got, when you then went back and asked the doctors there to give you a CIMT, a CT, cardiac calcium scoring test and the sleep test, number one, were you able to get those tests rather rapidly? And number two, did they cost a lot of money? Was it covered by insurance? Who paid for it? Well, it took a little bit because I had to ask my general doctor to, re to request it. Um, <clears throat> I think he might have thought I was asking for too many tests. But when I went to the specialist, 
she liked that I knew what I was talking about and she was accommodating. And yeah, I think the tests were done fairly rapidly within a couple of weeks, maybe. Uh, and then uh, they weren't expensive at all. Like my sleep apnea test was $150. Um, mm-hmm. The CIMT and, and what about the CIMT? I can't remember how much that was, but it wasn't prohibitive. And what's the other uh, test? The other test was $100, I think. Uh $100. And they were all easy, easy tests. It wasn't painful or anything. Um, Yeah. So very quick. So basically she, so basically you had very, you you had very rapid response to your request. You got the test done right away and more or less it's around about the same cost that we're paying in this country. So, and then you reached out to Dr. Callender to take a look. Getting the test is one thing and, you know, having someone who knows how to interpret the, the results and take you from there, that was where you, you know, Dr. Collender then sort of jumped in and took over. Well, I think they yes, did a good sure. job over there. They really did. And uh, it just, you're on the right track. You just got to work on your lifestyle and, uh, and, and use your CPAP yeah, to treat your it, sleep apnea. Uh, I, I borrow it uh, when I get back. So, yeah, I'll get to work on that when I get back to Korea. All right, Kayla, in the meantime, we're going to have to take a quick break. Again, you're listening to a special live medical broadcast on the prevention and medical management of disease. If you have a specific question and you'd like to talk to the doctor directly about what you need to do to avoid heart attack and stroke, or you have a question on any of the subjects we're discussing tonight, please give us a call at 800-859-0957. You're listening to News Talk 760 WJR. Welcome back to our special live medical broadcast on 760 WJR. We are fortunate to have Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician and specialist in prevention, here tonight to give us some straight talk about two important topics, prevention and being proactive. Please tune in to our weekly shows Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. and live Thursday at 7. We're inviting you to call in with your questions and talk to the doctor directly at 800-859-0957. Dr. Collender, I just want to make a comment. Thank you to Kayla for sharing her story. As we said before in the last segment, she was in Korea teaching English for 17 years, reached out to you because she was an avid listener of the show, never missed a show, and just wanted you to weigh in. And, you know, you were kind enough to allow her to send her test scores to you and as a courtesy you um you know interpreted the test scores and gave gave her some very important information uh i know that we have some backup callers here uh siobhan how many people do you have online let's get started taking the other calls yeah thank you for holding over the break to all the callers let's start with john and clausen john what's your question hey hi it's uh, hopefully along the theme here of prevention and being proactive it's a little bit two-pronged but i'm curious about what dr collinger is seeing with long haulers syndrome um you know as far as people that actually are getting covid and then the, the after effects and then part two of that kind of from a prevention side is um a povidone iodine antiviral nasal spray what are you seeing with that i mean i've seen it i've actually had personal experience with it which was very positive but i just wanted to get your thoughts on that well, thanks for calling. Um, my 
in my practice, I'm not seeing a lot of long hauler. The irony is in my family, I am. So again, I'm not going to mention who, but if they're listening, they know who they are. So I've got a family member who's had no sense of smell or taste for two years. <gasps> wow. I mean, they got COVID early and they're just beginning to get the hint of either smell or taste. And he's judging food based on texture only. And so wow. in my practice, I'm really, you know, not seeing a lot of long hauler. Um, and I'm also not seeing a lot of vaccine injury. So even though it's out in the world and, and I'm worried about it, um, you know, we don't need a lot of vaccine injury to have a problem with the vaccines, you know, cause, uh, in a normal real world situation, if, 10 people died from a, from a drug, the drug would be pulled. And, you know, based on the data that's been released by the FDA, we've exceeded that by a hundred times at least. And so I really don't know. I don't, you know, that, that, that's that. So, uh, I, as far as, um, you know, what the other thing you're asking about, um, long, about spray. iodine, Again, among my practice, I've had great success. Among my family, I have not. So, again, another family member went to Europe and on my recommendation used the povidone iodine nasal spray Cofix and um, unfortunately got COVID and had to come back from a major trip to France. So this is a big, you know, but among my practice, I've had great re results from povidone iodine nasal sprays, and I've not seen a lot of vaccine injury or long hauler, but I know it's out there um, and it's probably being, and I'm looking for it and it's probably being ignored um, in the greater world. Okay. So should we jump to the next caller? Absolutely. Got to get okay. To so the up calls. next we have Pam and Royal Oak. Pam, what's your question? Hi, thank you for um, taking my call. Um, my husband is 85 and he has diabetes, and about 15 years ago, he was diagnosed with a 100% blockage of carotid artery in his right side. And he went for a t uh, test, I think an ultrasound, I'm, I'm not sure if it was a CIMT, about a month ago at the cardiologist office. And his left carotid is, they couldn't read it real well. They thought it was around 70 or more. His, and he's referred to a surgeon. Um, few weeks ago and the surgeon just talked to him today again for the second or third time and um, he was able um, to fine-tune it with his computer and he thinks it's 70% blocked he's not sure but he thinks it is and um, you know he's on high blood pressure medication you know cholesterol you know um, he, he's gonna start on Lasix you know um, and the diabetes medication and do you think any, you know, we try to avoid surgery at all costs because I believe in natural medicine and prevention. And um, but he's going to go for another test on Monday at the surgeon's office because the surgeon thinks that's a better quality machine. And he, and he could only see about half the images with the first test. So he's, they're going to redo it on Monday at the surgeon's office. And I'm just, we're just going to go from there. 
And is there anything you can recommend or not recommend surgery? Surgery is so dangerous. You know, something other than um, like supplements. I mean, you know, he takes stuff for homocysteine and CoQ10 and right. I mean, all kinds well, of things. I appreciate you calling, and you definitely have a difficult situation because you're on the border of where surgery is indicated. And for it's really not fair for me to say take this or that as like one-off supplements. You really need a thorough evaluation of his, you know, the measurements that measure risk. You need um, the inflammation markers. You need genetics testing. You need measurements of all the other diseases that contribute to vascular health that we have actionable uh, uh, plans for. And so it's not too late because he's alive and hasn't had a stroke yet to jump in with two feet and put a full bore um, prevention plan together. But that's what you have to do. I wouldn't just say, well, here, take this supplement and that supplement. He needs a a all on you know all hands on deck evaluation of what's going on and what to do, and it doesn't mean that he's not on some medicines that are good, but you need the data that predicts risk that you can follow over time, which you're not getting. So blood flow doesn't predict risk, which is what you get at a surgeon's office. Um, so thank God the surgeon actually is not in a big hurry to operate, and you sh and that's a good thing. And he's downgrading his risk from 100% to 70, which gives you some wiggle room. But if you want to jump in and go all out, go all out then that's what you got to do now. No time to mess around. Okay. Should we try and get the last caller? Yes. Before yes. Okay. So now we have David and Windsor on the line. David, we've got about a minute left. So. Okay. What's your question? Yes, the question is this. Can anybody, depending on the side of weight, the size or weight... And any type of uh, uh, muscle mass or anything like that, can anybody who push, pushes too much weight and lifts weights and anything like that, can a heart attack can occur? Can a heart attack or anything like that occur when they're carrying around so much weight after they've been lifting, let's say, I don't know, maybe about 400, 500 pounds at a time and overdoing it? And what about the lifestyle changes that a person can make? Well, David, this is actually, this is a good question and we may not get through all of it right now. And because it gets into the concept of the bodybuilding lifestyle and what trainers tell their clients. And so bulking up, even though body mass percent body fat is an important data point, there's a point where you don't need that much muscle or that much more muscle. And the trainers that tell people to eat to bulk and have protein supplements and protein shakes, those foods are, are manufactured and processed and end up generating bad lipid particles, which cause inflammation and disease. So it's really important to look at those numbers. And this is a reason why weight is a terrible data point to measure risk. It just doesn't work. Thanks for calling, David. Okay, we have to take a quick break. You're listening to a special live broadcast tonight where the topic is your health and how to prevent disease. When we come back, if you have a specific question on the subjects we're discussing and you would like to talk to the doctor directly, please call us at 800-859-0957. 
Again, that number is 800-859-0957. You're listening to 760 WJR. Welcome back to the final segment of our special weekly live broadcast here on News Talk 760 WJR on the importance of being proactive and informed of the resources available to prevent and treat chronic and debilitating disease. You're listening to the expert advice of Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician, and one of the very few specialists in prevention in this country. If you have a question for the doctor, now is your chance to call us at 800-859-0957. Dr. Collender, we certainly had uh, a lot of um, important information on the analysis of Kayla's test, Kayla from South Korea. Let's come back to what you started off, you wanted to talk about on the show, monkeypox. Well... We don't have a lot of time to get into monkeypox well, at this we've point. Got we got minutes, a, we got a so. few minutes. So I feel like I need to talk about it because it's in the news. Yes. The World Health Organization has declared it epidemic potential, uh, which is the same as what they did for COVID. Um, so this is a very high level alert. Um, I think this is the opposite of what happened with COVID where nobody made any alert to COVID until it was too late and it's all over the world. So the fact that there's only 3,000 cases documented worldwide and the World Health Organization is taking these big steps to alert for it is, a, is good news. Um, and there's probably a lot more cases than we know. Um, I did want to kind of rehash some things that we talked about in a show about a month ago because now it's brand new. And one of those are, is that back when monkeypox wasn't on the rise, you know, the NIH had already been funding a study on treatments for monkeypox. Now, does this mean that they are being proactive and that they're anticipating a, proper, a possible problem? And of course, the skeptics here think differently. Um, and would you be surprised if I told you that the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the same Wuhan Institute of Virology that um, was uh, 10 miles from the wet market where uh, COVID was, was initially found, um, they're doing research on monkeypox and that they mm. felt the need to create their own version of monkeypox in the lab because they couldn't get it in the wild, whereas it's endemic in Africa. And of course now it's becoming, uh, it's growing worldwide in the United States and in the United Kingdom. Question for you as a physician, why is America not doing all this research and investigation here as opposed to in China? I don't, well, I'm gonna answer that question related to COVID and because I don't know exactly what's happening with uh, monkeypox, but in, in, with regard to COVID, they're not able to do the gain to function. So they're not able to test and evaluate, if I want to use the word, weaponized versions of these viruses. So who's they that aren't, that aren't the, able in to? In America, we're not allowed to do gain to function studies, so they have to outsource it to other countries that are. So he, again, I'm not making any statements. I'm just letting the listeners know and make their own conclusions, which is 
You've got two new epidemics. They're both funded by the they both have research funded by the NIH, and they both involve the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And now you've got another epidemic possible disease, candidate disease. And again, two of these different institutions are directly involved. The Wuhan Institute is trying to uh, develop testing, and the NIH, no shock, is trying to identify a treatment. And they've been doing that since before the, you know, astronomical rise in cases occurred back in mid-May. So, um, again, I'm not saying one thing or the other. We'll let the listeners make their own uh, conclusions. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure what to think. Um, I really just hope uh, this isn't just another money grab like COVID was. No, but just curious. I mean, given the backlash that happened with the Wuhan Institute and the research having been done in China and all of the kickback and all of the contentiousness that went on, at that time when we were first dealing with COVID, I'm wondering why America didn't just take it back and do the research here. There, there has to be some way that they can do research on this next possible monkeypox outbreak, if it becomes an outbreak. Why is it not being brought here, back in this country, where you're responsible for your own research here? Plausible deniability, Emory. And what does that exactly mean for the <laughs> listeners? Plausible well, it, it just means what? that you can deny. Deny what? Any correlation or degree of association with any wrongdoing because it happened in another country. We're just here to help. You know, you've Who's, got the problem and the FDA is here for the solution. And guess what? We got two new vaccines. Um, now, granted, a I lot think of got these... have like five new vaccines, but go well, ahead. Well, now we have new vaccines for monkeypox, which should be responding to the smallpox vaccine, which is still in existence. But I guarantee you there'll be a need for a new vaccine that is uh, not generic, that requires an emergency use authorization and will be mandated ASAP. For a disease that doesn't really kill anybody. Now, granted, I don't want to get monkeypox. I don't want to. It does cause disfiguring lesions. It may cause birth defects. Um, it may cause severe illness and Im immunocompromised people. I don't know. This is, uh, you know, again, I'm a prevention expert, but um, a FDA skeptic. So we're just waiting. This is a prediction. We're just predicting the future here. Another round of. Uh, FDA-approved emergency use-mandated vaccines for monkeypox. Well, how serious is, is it right now, and what, like, what is the realistic risk of anyone catching this? Well, you know, right easily? now, most of the people that are having complications are immunocompromised already. And again, I don't want to uh, label anything of anybody, um, and we want to keep uh, all of our groups of people, you know, I don't want to... Any, I don't want to say who's more at risk, uh, but in general, it's immunocompromised people are more at risk getting monkeypox right now. Which is a large segment of the American population. 
Um, yeah, there's a specific immunocompromised comprom- immunocompromised group that's more at risk. Again, I, I don't think I want to talk about it, but it's uh, it's you know. Well, in trans- no well, gaslighting. Maybe we can say how is it We're going to not gaslight it? anybody here. Right. So, again, it, even though this is still a very focused population that is most at risk. You know, again, I think it's good that the uh, World Health Organization is jumping on this early because they were way behind on COVID. Um, I'm just alerting, you know, recognizing that the institutions that were actively involved in COVID are also actively involved in a monkeypox. And I noticed that as vaccine usage is dropping like a rock, oh, guess what? We have a new disease from the same uh, developers of uh, COVID that's, uh, and we're, I guarantee you there's a vaccine ready to go. Well, patients just need to rely on someone like yourself to tell them how to engineer their way through these processes. Well, unfortunately we're out of time, so I'd quickly like to thank Dr. Brian Collender, MD, specialist in prevention for being here tonight and for being willing to share his expertise and knowledge with regards to not only the prevention of disease, but also on the importance of being proactive and engaging with a practice that provides access to the necessary testing. This show is brought to you by Colander Medical. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cronin, and we hope you got some useful information tonight on how to be your own advocate and take charge of your health, whatever your medical journey. Please continue to tune into our shows Sunday afternoon at 3, Thursday evening at 7 for the latest medical updates. Thanks to my co-host, Siobhan Cronin, and thanks for listening to News Talk 760 WJR. Good night and be well.